0: About that one will be in the springtime, hopefully, of maybe in the months of May, God willing, in the months of May, and pray even for provisions for needs. Uh, I often tell folks whenever I'm sharing in meetings. There's two, the two Bs that I do not agree with, uh, and I don't endeavour to do. I don't bombard people with literature. Uh, I don't. Today I'm finding we find more and more stuff, especially from charitable organisations. And he gets stuff through the post all the time. Well, I don't believe in bombarding people, and secondly, I do not believe in begging from people for God's work. An old missionary once said, "God's work, done God's way, will not lack God's supply. And if we are in His will and we are doing what He wants us to do, I believe not only will he provide the men to go and the woman for that matter, because I'll take woman as well. The last time I had 10 men and one woman. And I'll tell you, that one woman, she worked as hard as any man. She was a great. He says, We told her, he says, Gemma, we're delighted you're here because we needed somebody to make sandwiches. Not terrible sexist, isn't that terrible shameful? We thought just the woman, she says, You can make your own sandwiches. That's her answer. I see, some, I see some of you women, you mightn't be far from her. But anyway, we shall say no more on that matter. There could be no defiances here, man. I'm telling you, get your woman under control, boys. Get your woman under control. I'm only joking you as men. I'm only joking you. But no, uh, we'll take men, male and female. But the only condition is that you must know that we're going to work. It's not a holiday, but we're going to do our best to endeavor to work for the service of God. Acts chapter 17. This man was a missionary. His name was Paul. We find him, uh, uh, we're going to break into the chapter in verse 22 of Acts 17. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him. And find him though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live. And move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as ye are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the Godhead like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believe. We'll finish halfway through verse 34. Let's just have a wee word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful tonight for this privilege of having the open book before us. And we thank you this is not just any book Lord, we could tonight lift thousands of books and publicly read them. But none is like this book. Because this book, as we sang as a child, is the only book that God has given. We thank it. It is the word of God. Uh, We thank it. Through this book, you speak. Not only do you speak to us as your people, but we thank you, Lord, through this book. You speak to those that are not yours as yet. And Father, those sheep that you want in your fold that yet are afar. And Lord, we look to you in faith tonight that Lord, you would come and bring men and women, whether it be in this service or online, that Lord, you would bring men and women into the family and fold of Christ Jesus. You would help them to see the urgency and their need of calling upon upon a Saviour who's able to save them and keep them and preserve them and present them faultless before the Father's glory with exceedingly great joy. So tonight, to this end, We do pray that you'll help us this evening. We need your help. We dare not try, Lord, and we don't even attempt to do it on our own. We need your enabling by the Spirit of God, not just to unctionize us, but, Lord, to give us an understanding that we may be able to understand the Word and that, Lord, there might be application that we would be able to apply the Word and that there would be obedience to do the Word. So, Father, to this end tonight, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. As we ask these things in our Saviour's most precious and most worthy name. Amen. Missionary Paul here finds himself on a missionary journey. And in this missionary journey he finds himself in a place called Mars Hill. He's a man who has been moved. He's a man who's been exercised. He's a man who has been in many ways, dare I say, stirred within himself by what he sees. In his his adventure, you could call it, or in his walk with God. You read about that back in verse 16 because it says while he, while he waited, uh, while Paul waited for them at, in Athens, the Bible says his spirit was stirred in him. His spirit was moved. I don't know if you've ever come across that in your own life, in your own experience, in your own Christian journey. For those of us who are the Christian, Christians this evening in the house of God, I wonder has your heart ever been stirred by the need that is about you or the need that is around you? Because undoubtedly our hearts ought to be stirred. Our hearts ought to be moved. Primarily here in points past. Primarily for you folks in this particular area. As you see men and women. The reality is we see that we can see them in numerous ways. Some can see men and women just as trees walking. Others can see men clearly. Some cannot see. Some can't distinguish. In that old text of scripture where it talks about trees walking. Some can't distinguish between whether it's trees that are moving in the wind. Or people that are walking in the sun. The reality is they just cannot distinguish between the two because we really maybe don't see clearly. But here was a man and he could see very clearly the need that was around him and it stirred him because what he saw were a people who needed to hear the gospel. How often have they heard the gospel before? Well to our knowledge we believe this is their first encounter with this man called the Apostle Paul. This is their first opportunity to hear the gospel because this is the first one who has come their way to share this good news. Many times have you heard the gospel? Dare I say here in points past, or maybe even online, how many opportunities have you heard to had the opportunity to respond to that gospel, whether as a young person or whether it was somebody older? I wonder tonight where do you stand where this gospel is concerned? Have you done what it says about the importance of obeying? Because early on, what the Apostle Paul does too, because he makes his way through this place called Mars Hill, and what he does is he, he observes as he walks through. He finds men worship everything and anything that's classed as an idol, as a type of a god. In fact, historians will say in his generation, roughly there were about 30,000 different types of god. Historians claim that there were about 30,000 different types of gods, uh, different types of images, idols that these people worshipped. So, for example, if I decided I was going to bring another god to the, the, the men of the city, literally I brought it to them and then they, they more or less added it onto the list. And that's exactly how it all started. And then in the midst of this, this vast wave of images, some was made out of gold, some was made out of stone, some were made out of wood, some were, some were art, some were graved in pieces of stone. And then in the midst of all these different images, the Apostle Paul finds something that catches his attention. He catches this little altar and on this altar it says, To the unknown God. To the unknown God. That's all that's written. So really what these people in Mars Hill were doing is that they were covering all bases. They were being sure that if there was a God out there somewhere that they wouldn't turn his wrath upon them. The reality is, folks, if you're without Christ, the wrath of God is upon you. In fact, if you die without Christ, you will face the wrath of God. That is the reality. The word of God says, He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the only, name of, the only begotten name of the Son of God. You, you, this is the, the sad fact, folk. This is why the gospel is proclaimed. This is why the good news is presented week by week day by day, opportunity we have, whether it be through spoken form or written form, in the form we gospel track, when we meet people along the way, and we tell them about the good news of the gospel, and they despise it, they think, well the wrath of God doesn't apply to me. The condemnation of God doesn't apply to me. My dear friend, for men and women outside of Christ, this does apply to men and women. Because if men and women die without our blessed saviour, they are lost forever. They perish forever. And this utterly, it should move our hearts, but sadly it doesn't. And so the Apostle Paul, he endeavors to present to them this unknown God. Now can I tell you something, coming to Christ is like what I'm going to call a link in the chain. Or should I say, links in the chain. Many of us, those of us tonight who are Christians, many of us can look back to various things, various ways that God spoke at different times. That eventually bring us to that one place in our that one time our lives, where we eventually, at long last, we yielded to the spirit of God and we surrendered ourselves to Christ and we say, Lord, today I want to follow you. Today I'm giving my heart to you. Today I'm trusting you. But there were various things that leads up to these things. It's like stepping stones. I remember as a child out at the Glen in Carron Daisy, money Moneymore. In fact, there's a wee Baptist church there, stands out in the Glen. Outside the wee village. But whenever you would cross over a wee stream. You looked for stepping stones. (laughs) Because you didn't want wet feet. And so you'd look for a stone to step from one side to get to the other. We weren't necessarily brave enough to try and make the jump. So we tried just by one by one. And let me tell you something. What the Apostle Paul does. Is he sets out stepping stones. To bring these men. To bring these women. That have never heard the gospel before to a place of repentance and a place of trust in Christ Jesus. Let's take on this step out on these wee stepping stones this evening as we sit here in Point Pass, and let's follow in his footsteps and see where you're at along the journey and see have you taken that last step of trusting Christ. It was a stepping stone of showing them the greatness of God in creation. That was where Paul, that's where Paul began right at the very beginning of time. Because it says in It says there in verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. So we see here very simply, verse 24, sorry, that that he was endeavouring to proclaim to them the greatness of God in creation. He wanted these people that had never heard about the creator God to help them to see that this God that he worshipped, this God that he was presenting, was actually the God that made him and actually formed him. Now, you and I know, like you and I have enough common sense to know that whenever you see an, a, a, an item, whether it was a pair of glasses or whether it was a, a mobile phone or whether it was something else, some other instrument, you know that it has to have a designer and then it has to have a builder. And it needs different people to come together with their different talents and their different abilities to bring that thing all together. For example, if it's a, dare I say, a mobile phone, you have someone who designs it and then you have these engineers that try and endeavour to, through manufacturing endeavour, to, to get everything all cut out with their various machines and then you have somebody who's, who's putting all the bits together and then you have somebody that's maybe just polishing it all off and then you have somebody that's putting it in a box and then you have somebody that's selling that product on. It's not one person doing everything. It's a whole lot of various people doing lots of things to get that product to the market. It's necessary because you know and I know everything needs a creator. Everything needs a maker. We live in a world that neither needed a hundred people, a thousand people or ten thousand people but it was just one man, one creator and his name was God and he spoke the word and he made this world into what it is today. And he made it for a purpose and he made you and I for a purpose. And that purpose was that we might live our lives to glorify God and like the old Presbyterian, not that I am a Presbyterian, but like the old Presbyterian Catechism talked about how that we, that we were made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To enjoy him. But because of sin and because of the nature of our hearts, there's a problem is that we have become man. Humanity has become extremely selfish, self-driven, because it's all about me. It's what's in it for me. Why would I become a Christian? Because I can get through life okay without him. Well as we said this morning sadly you can make your way through life. I've known umpteen, tens, twenty, thirty, forty hundreds of people who sadly are making their lives their way through life without God and it seems to be that everything is rosy in the garden. But what life things is like in the quiet now I don't the secret now I do not know. But this I do know. But if they leave this world, the way they've lived in this world, they will never see heaven, let alone enter heaven. And what the Apostle Paul was endeavouring to teach these folk on this first stepping stone was that they had a creator and that creator made them. Now you may dispute that fact that we have a creator, but I would doubt it if you're sitting in points past Baptist this evening. But the reason why I say we have a creator is because, not only because God said it, but because the scripture says, because God said it, it is impossible, as Hebrews says, it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible for him to lie. And so I can believe him this evening. The second step and stone he took him to was not just about the greatness of God in creation, but undoubtedly I'm going to say to you, there was the goodness of God in Provision. Because what the Apostle Paul wanted these people to see was that the provision that they had on a daily basis for all their daily needs was not because of their gifts or their abilities or their power or their money or their skills. It was because God was providing for them daily. Listen to what it says in verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands as though we needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So tonight I am here because of the goodness and the provision of God's mercies and grace toward me, as you sit on these pews this evening, we are here because of God's goodness and providing for us life and breath and all things. This is God's goodness. I know that you may see, dear soul, if you gathered here tonight in Point's Past Baptist, that you may see that you're here because of the goodness of God. You wonder why a man can rise in the morning and go about his daily business and earn enough money that he may be able to put bread on the table it's because of God's goodness in providing for us you wonder whenever dare I say whenever mother well that's terribly biased in today's generation but in my house it's my wife that does the cooking it's as simple as that if my wife didn't do the cooking there would be, the meals would be extremely bland It would be butter and toast one night, and then it would be toast toast and butter the next night. So it wouldn't be extremely lucrative by any means. But the reality is, when my wife calls it, and I sit down before a table, and as we bow our heads to give thanks, we're giving thanks to God, our provider, because He has provided that for us. I'm going to say to you if you have the privilege of sitting in this meeting this evening, onto the gospel for another time, and you're not a Christian, it's because of God's goodness to you and that he has provided you with life and breath and all things. To think that at any given moment because of God and his His, his power and the fact and his, his, his ability that he, in any moment in the very palm of his hand as he could close his hand in upon your breath and your body would just cease to exist in the way it's known as today and it would just drop to the floor like a brick. And you would have literally entered into eternity. Pastor Anderson, your, pre, your previous pastor here, we got a phone call one morning. I, I, I'm going to say a young man. He was a young man of 53 years of age. Rides bicycles. A bit of a fitness, what I call a fitness geek to a certain degree. Him and his wife go out running together. He told her, I'm just going out into the garage here. He had a running machine. Out on the running machine he went. She heard this terrible thud. Thought nothing of it. Went out to the garage door. The garage door was closed. It was locked. but It wasn't locked, but she couldn't get the door opened. Couldn't figure out what was wrong. Went to the window. The machine was still running, but no sign of her husband. Eventually, the ambulance is called police land." And the dear soul is on the eternity. He left the house, like... When I use the expression, just like a spring chicken. Full of life and fatality. And not ten minutes later. He's in eternity. Now you do not need me to tell you in points past how quickly, sadly... Life is taken from humanity. One minute we're here and the next minute we're gone. What does the scripture tell us? Scripture says boast not thyself of the morrow for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. No man. Young or old. I was a young man of 17, 18 years of age in a backslidden condition on a Sunday afternoon we found ourselves in or Cookstown with a couple of friends. We used to just drive around and I don't know why, 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 what, we just, we just drive around car parks and, and just wasted away an afternoon and wasted away a tank of fuel. You wouldn't maybe do it today because of the price of petrol. but anyway. Uh, Sunday afternoon we find ourselves in Cookstown, Main Street, pulling uh, uh, one of our friends called Adrian, Curtin a wee girl called Libby. Uh, and uh, pull up beside us and Adrian says I'm going tomorrow he worked in Lisa's yard in Markerfeld at that stage and he had to go inside what was an industrial cement mixer and they were doing a, a big clean so what it meant was he went in and he would endeavour whether it was with a kango or with a sledge wherever it was he would inside it and he would beat out the inside of the industrial cement mixer and somewhere along the way the man outside received the wrong communication when he shouted to turn it off the man turned her on Adrian was 18, 19 years of age a young man that was mad about old cars mad about rally relic- in fact if, he had a de- if, if anybody said how- if anything happens to that fella how is he going to die he'll wrap himself around a three that's what he do and I used to from money more Money More to Marker felt you come down just before you get to Henry's yard there are old hills and, and if you were standing at the side road you could hear them coming because she would, she would lift it off every hill as she came along and you could hear the engine revving as she went out by. Mad as a hatter. Mad as a hatter. Monday night, the following night a friend of mine, John, who used to have an awful habit of telling old yarns and old stories and sometimes telling lies, come to my front door, my mother and father's front door and he says, Nigel, there I am out." He says, Nigel Adrian's dead. He says, what are you talking about? He says he's dead. He says, what do you mean he's dead? He says, John, don't be lying. Don't be don't be joking. This not, not joking, I'm telling you the truth. Young man of eighteen. And he turned on. I'm gonna to speak to young people this evening. I'm gonna say, young people, don't you think that you have your whole life in front of you? I genuinely hope you have. I genuinely hope you have. But you make sure you're ready. Because you don't know what's around the corner. You may be like me as a young man. I thought, ah, that'll never happen to me. But for the mercy and grace of God, it didn't happen to me. And thank the Lord as a young lad of 19 gospel mission came to our village and money more and I for some reason I had this strange urge to go along I know now it wasn't a, a human drawing it was a spirit drawing and the father bringing me back like an old prodigal as I wandered for numerous years bring me back to his first love the goodness of God in providing then he takes them a step further and he helps them to see the graciousness of God in repentance. Because he said in verse 30, but the time of this ignorance, God winked at. But now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. See up to now in many ways, I'm not saying God was having like, it wasn't like as if God was, had, had closed his eyes to these people. It was the fact is that because of their ignorance, he just, he winked at their ignorance. As if he just like, look, they're, they're on, they don't know the truth. But now they will know the truth. Because I'm sending someone to tell them the truth. What we have before us in this precious book is the truth. We don't have the sayings of some inspired theologian of another generation. We don't have these writings by some great scholar from way back in the first or second century. What we have before us here is the living word of God. What we have before us here is that which is God breathed. That which is given to us for a purpose. That this word might guide us to God. This book might endeavor bring us to the cross and help us to see that Christ Jesus is not only the way, but he is the truth and he is the life. And the reality is if you want to get to the Father, you can't get there except through the Son. There's no other way to get to the Father. And so here he talks about the gracious of God and repentance. Because he says up to now, as it were, due to your, dare I say, your, your ignorance, God has been Gracious. God has been exceptionally gracious because you've you've, you've been ignorant toward the truth. But I would say, folks, this evening, without any fear of contradiction, you folk here in this area, or dare I say, if you're tuning in online, you cannot tune into this service in points past Baptist and not know that you haven't heard the gospel not knowing that there is only one way to God and that's not through saying prayers and that's not by simply coming to church and that's not by giving your money to the poor and dare I even go as far as saying like some of our dear Catholic neighbours do whereby they walk on pebbles and bare feet uh, to try and climb mountains and, and offer, inc- or offer incense and say prayers in the hope that this might be acceptable to God. You know and I know there's only one way to God and that's through Christ Jesus. I remember being in Scotland meeting a wee woman there and she said a wee saying to me that I never forgot and I'm going to quote it to you this evening. If you meet me and you forget me you've lost nothing. But if you meet Christ and you reject him you've lost everything. Lost everything. And here he was calling to repentance. The reality was folks these folks Hadn't heard about repentance before. They hadn't heard about a creator before. They hadn't heard about provision before. And lo and behold, they hadn't actually heard about repentance before. But now, for the very first time, they are confronted, confronted with these three facts. And repentance was right up there at the start, at the top of the line, whereby he was saying, Look, now, God's saying, now, it's time for you to repent. So for Paul to preach repentance, He had to explain them what why what were they repenting from or what were they repenting of? So undoubtedly you don't read it in the text, but they undoubtedly to them for them to repent they had to understand that they had a problem within their lives. That problem we know was sin. We know that that old nature, that, that old nature that takes us away from God, that nature that makes us be selfish and self centered, that nature that puts me first and everybody else second, third and fourth down the line. And the last thing in man's mind is the thought of God in eternity. So Paul hits him between the eyes and said, now it's time for repentance. Now it's time. Now you hear the truth. Now you must respond to the truth. That is the gospel. It demands a response. You know, the scripture teaches, and in fact the Lord spoke about it, Numerous times in the in the Gospels, when he said these words, he said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So he said, well, if you don't repent, he said, your soul will be lost. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his own soul? Jesus said in Mark, Mark's Gospel, he said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners to forgiveness. And then, lo and behold, he, 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 takes, he takes these three steps and he says, these things are significant in time these are things that apply in time the creation, you can know about creation in time he speaks about the provision you can realise this this is happening now presently then he speaks of repentance this is something you need to do today and then he takes them on another step and so on and he says now this is what's yet to come and he speaks very much about the government of God and judgement so he says there's coming a day when God is going to judge you He's going to judge you by what you've heard. Except most likely is Paul standing there and he's pouring out his heart and he's, what sort of a preacher was? I haven't a clue. Maybe he was beside Christ. Maybe he was the greatest preacher ever preached. Maybe maybe like like one of old, uh, Mr. Edwards, who was only a young man when he died, but when he preached, he, he held his notes up to his face and he read them word by word. And yet when the Lord, as he read the word, the Spirit of God fell and people actually clove clo- threw their arms around the pillars because they felt as if the very floor underneath was going to open up and they're going to fall into the very chasms of hell. Such was the movement of God in the house of God. What he preached like, I don't know. But what I am saying, he was telling them that there's a day coming when the judgment of God is going to come and God has ordained a man in whom he will judge the world. And that man you're going to stand before, that man you're going to give an account not only for your sin, But also for your response to the gospel. That's what's going to happen now. That's what's going to happen. And these people had to realize now. They had to realize. This reality now. That there's day coming. When judgment is coming. And if they weren't prepared. That judge one day will very simply turn around and say to them. Depart from me for I never knew you. Folks the Bible does teach us in the the New Testament. Teaches very clearly of two, we know there are two places or two places of judgment. One uh, being the bema seat where the child of God will be judged. That's where you and those of us who are saved will be judged. We'll not be judged for our sins for which we're grateful because thank God at the cross our sins were dealt with once and for all. Past, present and future. Thank God all are under the blood of Christ. That we are thankful for this evening. And if you're not a Christian this evening, thank God your sins can be under the blood tonight. The old right or the old text of scripture says, though our sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. But you see, if you die not having your sins under the blood, the Bible says there's another day of judgment, and that's called the, the great white throne. And it'll not about it'll not be about, dare I say, works and words. But it'll be about sin that has not been repented of. And on that day, he will say to you, if you die without him, I never knew you. I'm going to tell you a story this evening about a man. I'll give you his first name. His name is Eric. I'll refrain from using his surname. But I often visited him and talked to him and chatted with him and said, Eric, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm not. But I was reading my Bible every night and i say my prayers. Did I believe him? I did very much so because if you knew Eric the way I knew Eric, you would know that Eric would not just simply tell lies or tell a pastor, a minister, something just because it took his fancy today Eric's in a nursing home and has no clue who I am has no clue who his wife is and very little clue who his children are did Eric become a Christian somewhere along the journey of life that I do not know and I say this with an extremely sad heart if he didn't I have my doubts if he'd ever be able to do it today. Because his mind is so confused. (coughs) Folks, we think that we're going to live forever. Well, that's wrong. We don't think that. That was a foolish thing to say. We don't think that. But we think that someday... If we're not saved We may get saved But there's no day Like today Because you know what the word says The word says today If you hear his voice Harden not your heart And so undoubtedly Whenever the apostle Paul preaches here Takes some of these steps and, And in response These people will respond just like you respond if you're not a Christian. You respond each time you leave a meeting. You say, I don't respond, I say you know, but you do. Because as you hear the gospel, whether it be in your home, whether it be here in this congregation, this assembly, men respond to what they hear. If a man comes to you to try and sell insurance, you say, I don't need it. No, thank you. You have responded said no there's no skin of your nose boy this may be selling insurance might be a bit grumpy because he thought he might be making a lot of pound out of you but to part with that anyway the fact is you have made a response when the gospel is, respo- when the gospel is preached whether to a young person or an older person or every in between the reality is that every man who has not yet been born of the spirit of God responds to that word in some measure in some way and what you have here in X 17 is you have a response that is, that is in threefold. You have what old Wesley said, the mad, the sad, and the glad. And there's no man called Willie Doherty who lived over in, in Ayrshire and he did open air he worked for the open air campaigners, and I had the privilege of getting to know him. He had a very unique relationship with his mother in law. He called her mother. I thought that was very unique. I would call my mother know everything. But I definitely didn't call her mother, that's for sure. At one time I, bought her, I was going to buy her an electric chair for Christmas. And uh, this man came to me after the service. Said, to My wife said, That's very kind of your husband buying her electric chair. Well, she says, I don't think it's the type of electric chair you're thinking he's going to buy her. It's one that may be slightly different to what you're thinking. It's not going to get her reclining. I had a very unique relationship with my mother. Her, but I never called her mother. Never did I call her mother. But old Wally Docherty talked about the mockers, the waiters and the takers. And I never forgot it. How be it certain men that say it says these words and when they heard of the resurrection, what does it say? It says these words How the resurrection dead. Some mocked. So this is the only time they heard the first time they've heard the gospel, and in response to what they heard, instant in their, there's this instant defiance in their heart and they want to just simply mock it. Saying, "Look, we don't want it. We don't believe it. We're not interested in it." And you leave this door out through these double doors and next through the next set of double doors, and I guarantee, you go up the street this evening, and you can bring it. Possibly, would give out a few gospel tracks. I'm not just saying this but points pass. Same thing could happen in Tubermore. and one of the one of the very first responses you might get is, "I don't want it. I don't want it." That's exactly what this first group of people said with Paul's message. I don't want. In fact, it was a stronger thought than just, I don't want it. They mocked him for it. Mocked him. Paul was never alone when he was being mocked. In fact, the fact was he was following in good footsteps when he was being mocked. Because the Bible says of our Savior the book of Isaiah, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hit as it were face. So may I say, if you're a child of God, and you are trying to reach someone with the gospel, and in response people just mock your message, and doubtfully you might find yourself getting discouraged because of it, and endeavouring to put you off sharing it, may I say you, walk in, uh, you follow in the footsteps of godly men when you have been mocked. Then the second group was these people whom old Wally they called the waiters. He wasn't referring to the people whenever you went into a lovely restaurant and these people came and waited on you. He was talking about the, these type of people that said, well, yes, yes, Paul, we are, we are in some ways, we're glad that you've come. We're glad that you've made the effort to come to this area. And, and we really do, we, we take on board what you're saying about the fact that we have a creator and he provides for us. And not only does he provide for us, but undoubtedly as well, there's this sense that He is calls us to repentance, and we know that there's. We believe that you're telling us that there's one day there's coming a day of judgment. We're, we're not bringing that into disrepute. We're not despising it. We're not turning our back on. But we're just saying we're not making any choice tonight. We'll decide some other time. We'll decide some other and other occasion. If you read your Bible. And those of of you who are among us this evening who who know your Bible extremely well, how many times did the Apostle Paul go to Mars Hill? Is there any record again of a missionary traveling by Mars Hill and preaching to the same congregation again? None. This was their first opportunity. This was their only opportunity. And dare I say this was their last opportunity. And all they could say to the message of the gospel was some other day. Some other time. It's what dare I say some very intelligent people will call a procrastination. It's like whenever was it King Agrippa who said almost Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. Wesley called them the mad, the sad. And these people were sad because now they knew the truth but couldn't enjoy the truth. He also called them the glad. Old Willie Docker called them the takers, the mockers the waiters and the takers, says these words, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. So though Paul never was back in this area, there were believers who lived in Mars Hill who would endeavor to be a witness for God. They were now going to be the missionaries on the ground. Those who would take this good news to those on previous occasion had mocked it. And even said some other day. But they simply took Christ. I want to ask you this evening very simply. What have you done with him? Maybe as a young person. Maybe like I was as a young boy of six. Made a profession. And I do have no doubt that the Lord had saved me. But throughout my teenage years I lived without reading my Bible and saying my prayers and And I was just going through motions. Found myself as a young man in 16, 17, 18. Found myself in places that my mother would have been ashamed of to find me in. And then God by his spirit began graciously just to draw me back to himself. And like the prodigal son I returned home. Maybe you young, some of you young folk this evening are prodigals. Maybe you're not even a young person but you're a prodigal. And you've wandered away. What about coming home tonight? Tell me, is there somebody here this evening and you have not yet come to Christ? Maybe people, maybe your family think you've come to Christ, but you know, you know in your heart you're not truly saved. Let me read you a wee poem and then I'll hand back to Nigel. Have you ever stopped to wonder what this life is all about? Why you're here, And where you're going when your lease of time runs out. Maybe you've been far too busy trying hard to reach your goal. Would you let me ask you kindly. Have you ever thought about your soul? You may reach your highest portals and your dreams may all come through. Wealth and fame may be your portion and success may shine on you. All your friends may sing your praises not a care on you may roll. But what about the great tomorrow? Have you ever thought about your soul? Don't forget your desert number, though you may be riding high. But like a, all of us, per mortal, someday, well, we'll just up and die. Your success and fame and glory won't be worth the ballet toll. Let me ask you just one question: Have you thought about your soul? If you've never thought it over, spend a little time right now that uh, there is nothing more important that will ever come your way than the joy of sins forgiven and to know you've been made whole in the name of Christ my Saviour. Tell me, would you not think about your soul? Him says life at best. It is very brief. It's time to get ready. And if you're not ready this evening, listen, I would like to think that we are approachable. But if you don't really want to speak with me, but maybe you know some of the elders here, but don't you put it off. Because maybe just even this week, you might read, left the newsletter. In that paper, you might read, Nigel Kissick suddenly left this world. what if that was you? Where would you be? Thank you, Nigel.